0: Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. This is episode number 145. I'm uh, your host, Brooke McCallery. Thank you for joining us. And I am Ben McCallery
1: and I am a co-host. You you are. are. Thank you for joining us.
0: (laughs) So just getting straight into it. You might remember, I'm sure you remember because you edited it, but... uh... (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do remember it. You remember it? Good. Back in September last year. Oh, not this episode. Something else. Okay, got you. you. Okay. Please go on. I spoke with Carolyn Tate from the Slow School of Business. Mm. We had a two-parter yeah, one two in
1: part. September. Uh, episode 104
0: and 106. That's six. And Carolyn and I spoke about uh, lots of things, but we specifically touched on the the idea of conscious capitalism and how brands are starting, some brands are starting to see that they have an opportunity and a responsibility to turn their manufacturing, their brand, Mm. their product, their whatever, into a positive Mm. for, you know, the environment, for people. Purpose before profit. Exactly. Or purpose alongside profit. Yeah. It's not, not, like, one doesn't, no, exactly. Uh, But we also spoke about B Corps.
1: Mm, That's right. Yeah.
0: You know, the certification Mm. process behind uh, a lot of, uh, not a lot, and a growing number of organizations who are decide- have decided to put people, purpose, environment before profit. Mm. Uh, and as a result, she introduced me to today's guest, who is Dane O'Shaughnessy. Uh, and the reason Carolyn thought that we'd be interested in talking to Dane is because he's actually the country director of Australia and New Zealand for Patagonia. And Patagonia is a brand who I'm an unashamed Mm. patron of. You may have mentioned once or twice. Once or twice. And I mean, that's it. You guys listen to it. You know that we really do admire what Patagonia is doing as a brand in the environmental space. Uh, You know, I've, I read um, the book, let my people go surfing by the founder of Patagonia over the Mm. Christmas break. And it's a phenomenal read. Yeah. Uh, It just shows what is possible when you've got a committed group of people who are passionate about something in this case, the environment, because they're surfers, they're rock climbers, they're skiers, they're mountaineers. You know, Mm. these are people who adore connected yeah, the environment and spending time outside. Mm. They've created a company, a very, very, very successful and profitable company Mm. that has this passion for the, the environment at its core. And what I discovered in reading the book is how much, of what they do goes back into supporting and protecting um, the environment and also into basically grassroots activism. So that's something that as a business owner I've really grappled with, to be perfectly honest. We basically
1: used that let my people go surfing as our company manifest.
0: Yeah, it's a blueprint really. It shows you how you need to act and Mm. prioritize things in order to create something that is actually going to be A positive, not a a drain Uh, So anyway, all of that to say That Carolyn thought that we would enjoy talking to Dane And she was right She was absolutely right So we flew down to Melbourne um, To meet with Dane at Torquay Which is actually, if you've not been or heard of it Torquay is beautiful It's stunning Uh, It's like the home of Australian surfing really Bells Beach uh, is probably the most well-known beach there And it was just such a delight to kind of get out of the city and... Yeah, just do some more
1: of those in-person, in-person interviews yes. as well. I'm
0: loving the in-person yeah. interviews that we're doing this year. Really, really enjoying it. Yeah. So well, Dane is top. Dane was so great to talk to. We spoke about... I mean, yes, we speak about Patagonia uh, as a brand and what they're doing and why it's so important and why he's so passionate about it. Yeah. But uh, interestingly, we also spoke about his previous life... Where he wasn't, he's a surfer, he's someone who loves the outdoors, but he was never really connected necessarily to the environmental movement until he started to adopt a lot of the, uh, you know, the, the tenants of Patagonia's like, manifesto, I guess. And it was awesome to hear Dane kind of talk about how those changes have impacted him at home as yeah. well. You know, he's got a young family, all the changes that they're making at home, uh, but also the like the grassroots stuff that Patagonia is doing. It goes into that too. So I will, I want to say this is not an ad for Patagonia. The reason we're talking to Dane is because he has an awesome story to share, Mm. but we do talk about what Patagonia is doing as a brand. And it's an interesting tension to hear him. This is like the face of Patagonia Australia talking about, um, you know, manufacturing and things like that, which is undoubtedly harmful, harmful to the environment. You know, it's the creation of stuff. And resources go into the creation of that stuff. But what I found really interesting was that they don't hide from that. And what they do do is make the, the best quality, which is something that we talk about a lot in terms of slow and, and, you know, buying the best you can afford and then looking after it. So I hadn't heard of another company apart from Nudie Jeans who repairs your gear for free yeah. in order to prolong the life of it. They're hmm. like, don't buy a new Patagonia jacket. Send in your old one. We'll fix the zip for free. Yeah. You know? And so I think that that kind of stuff is where we actually can begin to make a change by, you know, by, by being aware of that as well as supporting organizations who do those, those kinds of things. And, uh, yeah, just those kind of choices I think matter anyway. So. We are nearly getting into the conversation with Dane. But before we do, we've got a, uh, a giveaway. Yeah, let's do a giveaway. A giveaway. I don't think we've ever done one before. No. So we have a bundle of three Patagonia books to give to one lucky person. And all you need to do to enter is head over to slowyourhome.com slash 145, which is where you'll find the show notes, all the links that you'll need from today's episode. But leave a comment. Just let us know if you enjoyed today's episode or, I don't know, whatever you want to do. Say Hello. <laughs> Tell us about the weather. Yep. Anyway, three books <laughs> from Patagonia. So the first is uh, called Tools for Grassroots Grassroots Activists. The second is called The Responsible Company, what we've Learned from Patagonia's first 40 years. And the third is the book that I already mentioned called Let My People Go Surfing, which is written by, yes, the founder of Patagonia. So, uh, yeah, leave a comment. I will email the winner. We'll close entries on the 30th of March. So head over, leave your uh, leave your comment there. And we'll get those over to you. Global, anyone can enter. Mm-hmm. It's uh, open to no
1: borders. No borders in our giveaways.
0: No, we are giveaways without borders. <laughs> okay, let's get into this conversation. <laughs> okay, enjoy. Thank you for uh, chatting with us and inviting us down to Torquay. It's a pretty beautiful place to work and live and visit. So um, yeah, we appreciate it. Welcome. Thank you. Now, you are the country director at Patagonia for Australia and New Zealand. Um, but what did you do before that? Well, I've
1: been fortunate to, you know, work in and around, I guess, lifestyle brands mm-hmm. for most of my career. I started um, at Rip Curl, in fact, when I was at university and 17, packing boxes. Yeah, right. Um, you know, sweeping, sweeping the warehouse, and then ended up staying with those guys for 12 years. I, I I started to be a primary school teacher and then a journalist, and then ended up, you know, not pursuing either of those and sticking with you know the surf industry because I'm a surfer and I love I love the ocean. You know, I was brought up here in Torquay, so yep. it was really a great opportunity to. I guess, you know, build a career in a, in a small town, which isn't um, isn't always available. Yes,
0: yeah, absolutely. Um, so
1: Torquay's c- kind of famous for, you know, where Rip Curl and Quicksilver both started in the 60s and 70s. So it's got a pretty vibrant, I guess, you know, industry in, in, a, in a pretty small place. Mm.
0: Um, and you've been at Patagonia for a few years. Four
1: years now, yeah. So after 12 years at Rip Curl, I had was doing an MBA at the, at the okay. time I left and you know, kind of decided it was time for a change just before I'd finished that course. So I was fortunate at the age of around 29 or 30 to have long service leave after being someone <laughs> <headline>. um, <laughs> so long. So took that leave and finished, finished uni full time for six months. And as most people do, when you don't have a job, you print a business card and say you're a consultant so you don't of feel course. unemployed. Yeah. Um, so, which is what I did and managed to score a few project jobs and had some money coming in whilst I was completing my studies and was trying to figure out what to do next. You know, there's a lot of regret after leaving a company that I've been in mm. for so long with a lot of comfort and a lot of fun. You know, it was a really great culture, but I knew I needed to change, you yeah. know, and so I, I sort of leapt out and, you know, with some regrets, you know, had to, had to find a way forward.
0: I find that idea of, like, regret and those big changes really fascinating because I think we get really comfortable and it's nice to stay comfortable, but then when we decide to expand or become uncomfortable, like, really cool stuff happens sometimes. Absolutely. You know, and I think we just need to learn to be okay with that not knowing.
1: And it develops courage. Yes. And I think... When I started an MBA, it was for very different reasons to what I finished. You right. know, it was very much about, oh, maybe I'll get a better job, or earn some more money, and it'll set me apart from you know, my peers when promotions come along. But over the course of that study, and it's a very business-orientated kind of piece, you know, it sort of helped me understand you know, the world a little bit better, mm. much more deeply than just kind of you know, dry business things. It's yep. very much you know, in, into psychology and all sorts of parts. But it was the thing that really gave me the courage to say, go out and, you know, is this what is this what you want to look back in when you retire and go, this is all you did. And I was lucky. I was on a really good wicket. You know, I was getting good money. I was getting to travel to really fun places. Like That's one of the benefits of companies like these is that our offices are in the south of France and California <laughs> and, you know, Brazil and all these wonderful places.
0: So you said you kind of wanted to look back when you retire and... and and see something more than just, you know, I just I stuck on the promotion track and kind of got to the end. Like, what did you want to see? What did you realise? Well, I didn't know. Yeah. I guess
1: the, the thing, I had been in such a degree of comfort, for yep. use of a better word, um, that I felt like I needed to make a change. Mm. You know, and, you know, I think you're, for your own fortitude and, I guess, you know, Things that you want to kind of, you know, you don't even know what you want to achieve, but you know if you're not satisfied. Yep. And I guess after taking that leap, as I said, there was a lot of regret for what I was leaving behind, you know, and post printing my business card, I was driving to Melbourne for work, so there was a lot of change mm. to my day. You know, like, we roll into work here in thongs and shorts and surf at lunchtime. It's a really wonderful experience. But I knew I needed to go beyond what I'd just been, you know, and I needed yeah. to develop some more experience, which, which I did.
0: And when the opportunity came up to join Patagonia, What attracted you to it?
1: Well, it wasn't as neat as as all that, really. I'd actually been working in Melbourne for a while with a company that had been a big Australian business that had been through receivership. I'm I'm not sure if you know Colorado Footwear. It was a really big Australian retailer, went went bust, essentially. The company that formed out of that um, is called Fusion Retail Brands, and they hold the portfolio of... You know, Diana Ferrari Shoes, Jag Apparel at the time, um, Mather's Williams Shoe Shops, right. and they were going through a big change in you know, restructuring the business and all of the debt holders, the banks and the private equity folk were now the shareholders. So I ended up getting a consulting job with those guys sort of as an interim kind of you know, executive and change manager. Mm-hmm. So I spent about 18 months there you know, working with their you know, senior team to kind of you know, help them transition into a more profitable business. But what I found with that experience, it was a very um, short cycle kind of business. It mm. was monthly results. I think the, the equity holders now wanted to exit that business with as you know as fast as they could with some return. And there was a lot of stress. There right. were, and that, and Colorado was a was a you know an iconic kind of you know brand and business for a long time in Australia. So there were some people who've been with the business for decades. Yeah. And it, and it really you could see the effect that they had on people. So I felt like whilst I cut my teeth on some big business stuff, there was also you know it, it was really hard you mm-hmm. know and it was really hard emotionally to to manage that and i also recognized working there that you know that working on products that i wasn't passionate about wasn't wasn't getting the best out of me so yeah when i finished up there we started a family so my wife and i had, a, had our first child my wife's got her own business too so we made a decision that i she was going to go back to work after three months and i'd you know be a house dad That's for about right. six months so pushing the pram around here in Torquay for six months was gave me a lot of time to think about what I wanted to do next mm. and how I guess I wanted to make sure that my next kind of you know thing was you know more aligned with. The things I was passionate about yeah. so it wasn't necessarily Patagonia specifically sure. but it was like hey you know being close to family being available is really important not just for my immediate family but my extended family as well and working on products and brands that I felt like were aligned with with who I was mm. and then when the opportunity came up to work with Patagonia it was in a very small project consulting capacity and the type of person I am is sort of like hey there's way more opportunities of stuff to improve here I'm going to jump in and Make some suggestions, and and that kind of just snowballed into, hey, that's a really good idea. Let's make a plan, and the plan became, you know,
0: well, uh, approved and and sort of rolled into here we are today. Yeah, you know, right. we say <laughs> it, essentially, it's interesting um, that you were talking about when you started your family that you. You started really considering what you wanted your next move to be. I think that not necessarily having kids, but like a big life change. I often see people coming to this moment of realization, going, "Well, yeah, what's going to work for me going ahead? Like, what what matters? Yeah. you know, and how can I make that fit into life rather than life fit into that other stuff?"
1: And it's not being rich. Yeah, you know, I think that's the thing that <laughs> we, yeah, you know, fortunate to have had a lot of luck and success in my life, and you know, by global standards, I'm a wealthy person. Yeah. you know, like we're live in a place like this yeah. but yeah you can always get more and I think when my wife and I really thought about what was important it was like hey look where we live mm-hmm. you know we've really put a lot of time and effort into building my wife's business because we wanted to have flexibility with our family you know so but as you guys I'm sure know when you've got your own business you, it's easy on sometimes yep. and it's really hard on other times <laughs> because you are all there is you yeah know? so um, we juggle like anyone else, but we also recognise that me commuting to Melbourne from Torquay, like in a, an hour and a half each way every day, is not going to be a great family
0: thing. Yeah, you know? exactly, and it's that kind of realisation is massive, I think, because it just. It shifts you into this uh, this place of contentment or yep. what's what's more important and what do I have enough of? Yep. What's worth paying for and what's not worth paying for? And I think so many massive changes and, happen.
1: And something I've been telling myself recently is, you know, be grateful because yeah. you, I'm, I'm an ambitious person. Like, I'm professionally someone who wants to do really good work. And yep. the way that fits in with Patagonia particularly is, you know, with... Patagonia's business and they do a lot of good is we also have to be even better on the traditional metrics than mm. other businesses like we have to be more profitable we have to be more successful despite making these environmental and social choices so there's a, there's a pressure and there's a there's something that we all strive for really you know, mm. big things to kind of meet that.
0: Yeah and it's a matter of balancing that ambition or that striving or that wanting to be good at our jobs with balance, You know, yep. an overall balance of life. Yep. And sometimes you nail it and yeah. sometimes you don't. And I think that's life partly, but it's also being, you know, ambitious. And, and yep. that's one of the positives and negatives of it. Well, and picking
1: what to be ambitious about. Yeah. Yes. You know, so it's like, okay, do I want to, you know, be the richest guy? Yep. Are you going to sacrifice a lot of stuff to kind of get there versus are we building something of substance? You know, from a business perspective, am I being a great dad and a yep. great husband and a great son and brother and all those sort of things to the people in my life? So. Mm all of that requires you know juggling act at times and it's also two ways yeah you know, you've got it you can't be everything to everybody no um but you've got to feel a degree of comfort that you you're doing your best and be really happy and grateful for the opportunity that you have to do that i mean today when i watch the news or read the newspaper it's just uh, reminded with every turn of the page mm. how much suffering is going on out there and how me worrying about selling a few more t-shirts or jackets this year is you know got some positive effects to it for sure but it's not like I'm worried about the safety or health of my family um, or what's going to happen tomorrow Mm. so keeping that perspective is really important however you know I also recognize that us as you know like in wealthy western countries have an extra responsibility for environmental and social protection because for those who are worried about where the next meal is coming from they're not worried about climate change yep. they're not worried about you know biodiversity environmental degradation so in our own ways and i think i'm a big celebrator of that we've all got our own contribution to in our own way um, mm. i think sometimes with the environmental stuff everyone's like well if you're not down there with the placard or you're not showing up on sunday to this you're not really part of the movement yep. you're not really part of the solution where all of us have different skills and different passions so how do we kind of embed those kind of values in our life Mm. how do we make the little choices at the supermarket or planting a veggie garden at home or flicking off the lights or turning off the taps all of that stuff adds up and it's what seemed like no big deal 15 years ago about leaving the tap running when you're having a shave or brushing your teeth is now just common behavior you know so Things can change and they will change.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a really, it's an optimistic place to be, but it's also a positive place to operate from because otherwise you just feel like you're constantly on the back foot and you're constantly not doing enough, you know, and you can beat ourselves with a stick, whatever kind of stick it is. Um, Yeah, I think that that's really important. So the environmental aspect of Patagonia's work, uh, is that something that you were attracted to initially or is that something that you've kind of... It actually wasn't
1: something I knew a lot about, to be Mm -hmm. honest. I think um, Patagonia at the time was still a relatively unknown brand. It still is, if if I'm honest. And it's one thing that we work really hard on is to try and get people to engage with what the brand is on many different levels. So, you know, our environmental philanthropy, you know, Mm -hmm. the company dedicates 1% of its annual sales to grassroots environmental causes each year. And that's sales, not profits. So whether it's a good year or bad, we're we're making that, that commitment and I'm really proud of the ability that we've been able to create uh, I guess uh, an organisational structure down here that's allowed us to both be more meaningful with the company's money to Mm. to invest that in Australian and local issues but also then to engage our customers with that you know to kind of it's, it's it's a difficult juxtaposition not to diminish that kind of wonderful thing that the company does by kind of you know bragging about it or boasting about it but what we want is for people to be aware of it hopefully contribute to it and be inspired by it and then bring that into their own life so we also recognize it's one of the most wonderful things about the brand Mm. that when you're spending money with Patagonia you know that you know part of that money is going into environmental protection it's it's direct too so we make those donations directly to you know groups on the front line you know we don't spend money on you know training or you know admin it's all about Small grassroots groups who need mm-hmm. five or ten thousand bucks to do something specific what sort of things like could be uh species protection yeah. in a local area for um and we've got a grant program which is open so i'd encourage your listeners to to log on and, and if you've got an issue and you're part of a, an ngo because these have to go through um you know ngo organizations to, to make an application i mean we've done all sorts of things around the great barrier reef we, we, we also recognized early that we wanted to be kind of involved in things that people really cared about. Mm. So we've only just recently started to invite an open forum for applications. Up until now, no one even knew we did it. So we were out seeking people to say, yeah. put an application and we can yeah. give you a grant. I think this year, we're. I think we're about to give $8 million US dollars globally. Wow. Um, yeah. On And on top of that, on Black Friday in November, the company did a, um, a promotion essentially. And I guess it was a little bit in relation to how can we kind of let... Our customers show us and work with us to to, to say that we care about the planet. Yep. Was that we said every dollar that the company made on that day, or, you know, in sales, was going to be donated to you know the environment. The company generated over ten million dollars globally. So every store, every website around the world added up to ten million, which is five times more. I think the CEO said than what we expected. We expected wow. two million. In here in Australia, on on that Friday, every one of our stores had its biggest day of trade ever. Our website had five times more sales than we've ever had in a day. And Black Friday's not even a thing here. Yeah. I mean, it's a work day. <laughs> yeah, you know? exactly. So we were just blown away at the response that, mm. that we got.
0: Which I think is so encouraging because it means that people are listening and yeah. they care and they want to do something. And I think that's phenomenal, particularly and in Australia.
1: The other thing that I've read, really, the conclusion that I'm coming to is that business has to be part of the solution. Yes. You know, so people, it's are probably most powerful with where they spend their money Mm. so you know you've got to vote every three years you know in an election which is great and you've got to trust that the people you vote in are going to be making decisions Mm -hmm. in the best interest of yourself and the planet but when you start to buy products from companies that are doing better than others or in some cases you might pay premium sometimes not um, but we're saying hey we want to buy organic food 10 years ago organic food was hidden down the back of the supermarket (laughs) now it's the first thing you see when you walk in and it's so it's I think, um, you know, big businesses starting to recognize that, whether it be consumer goods, energy, there's a lot of consumer will to um, to want to kind of, you know, get behind this.
0: And I think the more vocal people are about it, the more it's going to be a, you know, a solution that businesses offer as well, yeah. because people do want to do something. And I agree with you. It's this idea, and that's actually how we got connected through Carolyn take um with the idea of conscious capitalism and b corp but i think that it has to be part of the solution it really does because that's the that's the culture and the society that we're in yep so it makes me really excited i mean to read things like let my people go surfing and to understand that there's big successful organizations who are doing big things and we can be part of that just by supporting them and being aware you know i think that's the the key
1: i guess you know I won't make this an ad for Patagonia by any means, but you know Patagonia is a really unique business, and it's I've heard it described as it's the closest thing to a not-for-profit as a for-profit company can be. Yeah, and it can do that. I guess you know often you hear oh well it's a private company. It is a private company owned by the Chenard family, and I guess when owners decide how they want you know companies run and what what's done with the resulting success, you know so there's a very very clear kind of mission for the company. I don't know, I'll call it out for this is it's build the best product cause no unnecessary harm and use business to inspire and implement solutions mm. to the environmental crisis. And those that statement is kind of the compass for so much decision making right from the very top to the very bottom about how we set strategy to how we choose suppliers to how we conduct ourselves and, and I guess, you know, how we make kind of short and long term decisions. It allows us to kind of think about, you know, acknowledge that we make stuff yeah. and building the best products is really important, not just the most environmentally friendly, but does it perform? Because yeah. if it's not going to perform for its intended use, people won't buy it. Yeah, you know, There's a lot of great research out there. I think the LOHAS report, which is an, an interesting report um, done by some crew in Melbourne, talk about consumers' willingness to pay for products and services that have environmental and social benefit and how they're willing to pay a premium for those Mm -hmm. for those goods and services as long as they meet the minimum features and benefits that the the lesser product can kind of do yeah so you can't make it say i've got a raincoat it's really great for the planet but it actually doesn't keep me dry you know (laughs) so people aren't going to buy that and for us you know what does best product mean at patagonia it doesn't just mean the the lightest or the fastest Mm. or you know I often describe sometimes our stuff as more like a four-wheel drive tyre and you know our competitors might be like an F1 tyre. You know, yeah. something that wears out quickly, you got to buy another one. It might feel great for the first however long, but we want to make our stuff last a long time. And in fact, from an environmental perspective, that's what we've learned is the best thing we can do for the planet. So it doesn't matter how green the material is that you're using, if you are using a lot more of it than just keeping something in play for longer, that and yep. keeping it in a landfill, it's it's so much better. So we, we you know try and make stuff durable. We try and design it so it can be repaired. Yes. You know, unlike so much which is kind of designed for obsolescence. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of you know a bit of a it's it's almost like a secondary benefit when people show with this because yeah. they might buy us because they want a new puffy jacket or they like the look or the you know there's a lot of design elements that you know attract people in. But we often find that that's the stuff that keeps coming back when they yep. see gee it lasted well or yep. wow you guys repair it for free and when something goes wrong that's pretty cool. So we've got a really good backbone with a business mm. and that core business now is expanding into venture capital so we're investing in startups and, um, around the world who are basically within our wheelhouse of same values and yep. environmental and social good We started a food business called Patagonia Provisions where we're trying to make an impact in the food food industry many other th- kind of you know, projects bubbling and brewing mm. the second part of that is really about we when, we know we're doing harm when we're in business. The fact that we're making stuff is we're doing harm. So that sort of don't cause unnecessary harm is a bit of a double negative. It's mm. like saying we cause harm. Yeah. But we by starting with that principle, we know that we can start to say, how do we reduce it? So yes. we're not hiding from the fact. We have that constant tension between performance and, I guess, environmental impact So we've got the whole organisation, whether it be through packaging, product, operations, really, you know, tussles with that that tension each and every day. Mm. And it's what helps us, I think, have a great deal of, I guess, you know, connection with our customers. We're really transparent. You can log on to patagonia.com and you can look at, on a Google map, every supplier who makes our stuff, where we buy our fabric from, farms that we get get our feathers from. So there's a degree of saying, this is what we're doing. You know, we're not hiding it. You know, it's not perfect, by the way, but... Here's what we're doing as far as progress goes, and stuff that doesn't always work out. Yeah.
0: yeah, and then I think people get to gain ownership of that, and once they, they they feel comfortable in talking about it, you know, and you're proud of the decision that you've yeah. made, you can then talk about how to improve it. And I think that that's where that's the important stuff that you can you don't have to hide behind greenwashing or like lip service because again, reading Yvonne's book, it's really clear that every overarching strategy has been pass through those filters of what the the company is about from its roots and yeah I think that that's that transparency is it's honesty you yeah know? and
1: exactly. I mean you have it in your personal relationships in life you know when people are honest and, and and real in your life you have a much deeper connection and we find when things go wrong the first thing for us to do is to tell people about it yeah and what's going wrong and how we're actually going to start dealing with this problem and what we found is you know there's always some people out there that'll throw stones and and, and try and take take a you're down a peg or two, but we often have customers defending us and, mm. and really saying, hey, you know, we can see how that's happened. What are you going to do next is really important. You know? Yeah. I'm going to give you a good example of that, actually. We, oh, I can't remember, it was probably it was probably before my time, maybe five years ago, um, maybe five or six years ago, an animal welfare group called Paws in mm-hmm. the UK came to the company and said, "You and don't quite mean all the perfect stats here, but certainly, they said that you guys, well, we feel that you got your guys down supply chain, which is the feathers that go yeah. into our puffy jackets, a huge business for us. We think could be compromised with, you know, geese that are being live plucked right. or force fed for Fargoire farming production. And so they force, force feeding is obviously horrible, you know, yeah. making geese fatter, but they live pluck geese so they can grow feathers again. Yeah. So it's a yield kind of thing. So these are awful kind of animal welfare pieces. We kind of were pretty shocked at that and pretty dismayed. We, we published that, that on our website and said, look what we've been made aware of. Here's how we're going to go mm-hmm. about kind of investigating it. And over the following 12 or 24 months, we did a pretty deep dive into the supply chain and found, I think there was about nine layers of supply chain before we actually got to the oh, farms. Wow. I believe that what we found was that there was, that wasn't occurring at the time, but we knew with that amount of kind of, you know, there course. was a huge amount of risk that could and may have happened in the past. And it was really the catalyst for us starting what we was called now our traceable down program, and it's basically a, an assurance that you know no force feeding or live plucking is occurring with our down, and that's um, I guess authenticated and certified by an independent third party. So we're not just saying right. trust us; we're doing the right thing. We're trying yeah. to work with you know organisations that can, like a fair trade organisation, that might say, yeah, we can verify that you mm. are doing the right thing, and and it's an independent body. So watching how the company deals with crisis, and you can imagine that you know other companies, more traditional companies, might just switch into PR mode. Exactly. And it's like, how do we spin our way out of this exactly. and try and reduce the impact? And divert. That crisis, in my opinion, was one of the, because well, you know, it's a more recent thing I've been a part of, has been one of the galvanizing things for customers. Because you are showing them how you deal with the crisis. Mm. You're showing them how... You can turn something negative into something positive, and in fact, others in the industry have followed into certification areas with the same with the same products. So, really exciting to kind of you know to watch that and kind of learn from that, and kind yeah. of go, wow, you know, business can really be both a, a force for good with customers, but also with other business.
0: Mm. Yeah, um, that's it. That's the r- the ripple effect, and you know, yeah. other businesses are paying attention. And when you're getting all that positive, that positive press from something that you're doing rather than something that you're saying.
1: And other customers saying, well, what are you guys exactly. making stuff out of? You know, yeah, And you know, our products aren't necessarily more expensive. Yeah. You know, I think it's been quoted in the media that our COO has stated that you know we pay up to 30% more for our cost of goods yeah. you know, than our competitors. So we make less money. We, we can't offer the same kind of you know discounts and stuff that other brands kind of might. But we are trying to tell our customers that this is what our stuff's worth. Mm. This is what it costs. You know, the company then takes its resulting success, as we said before, and it uses on environmental protection. So it's not a, a wealth-generating model. No. It's very much a, a shared value model. And that refers certainly back to the B Corp stuff you mentioned before.
0: Exactly. And, it I mean, it prioritises people and planet over profit, essentially. That's right. You know, I mean, they're not, not one completely to be cut out of the picture but one is more important yeah. than the we're other.
1: we're using the profit to fund those that's things right too. yeah you know that that down story mm. is a good one because the final part of the mission statement being use business to inspire and yes. implement solutions you know we really want our business to be a beacon we're not the biggest company in the world we're growing fast and we're having a big impact in some sectors However, if we can be part of changing uh, just the steering of the the down supply chain a little bit, that's a big impact. Mm. A couple of years ago, we released a wetsuit in the surfing market, which was neoprene free. You know, that we stopped using petrochemical materials to make our wetsuits, which has been the industry standard for 60 odd years. We've made that technology and that material open source available to the market market to say everyone get on board it's not really much more expensive if at all it's way more durable it's made with rubber that we use to make surgeons gloves aeroplane tires condoms and stuff that you really don't want to break but the petrochemical stuff's just cheaper yeah you know so we're starting to see some of the other brands explore that material now we certainly acknowledge that when you're first you know others will you know be interested but Mm. then they're not going to you know jump on the bandwagon immediately necessarily feel pretty lucky and fortunate to be part of a company that you know is creating its brand position and its marketing through what it does, not what it says. And what,
0: I guess one of the other sort of central tenets that I, I continued to see reading Yvonne's book was this idea of Live Simply, which is sort of a motto, you know, across the entire brand, and that's something that we obviously... It's on my T-shirt today. Exactly, and you know, so yeah. And that's, you know, that's been my kind of motto in general anyway. But how do you, like, aside from the way that works in Patagonia itself, do you adopt that into the way you live with your family?
1: I'd say yeah, and it's an evolutionary process. Mm, you know, absolutely, like I think I'm learning more and more. Yeah, you know, we're we're yeah you know, setting up our very first kind of you know significant veggie garden right now for awesome. our winter plant for the first time. And again, I feel like m- my wife and I, my family, are making those incremental changes. Yeah. And it's got to be stuff that changes behaviour, not just kind of becomes a fad in your life as well. Mm-hmm. So it, it could be something as small as going buying less than I might have once bought clothes or stuff what's happening with the stuff am i throwing in the trash or am i finding a more suitable place for it to go with not just to be recycled but are the things that has this still got some useful life for somebody and living on the nature strip might be one option taking it to the op shop finding someone amongst my friends who might need something can be a great way of kind of doing that so i think inevitably you know my behaviour's changed Mm. you know watching and getting to learn from so many wonderful people within patagonia and it's and it is truly a big family business i mean it's one of the things that has just left such an impression on me on how to treat other people. The very first day I, I, I walked into the campus in the US was only about three weeks after I'd walked into the building here, well, not this building, but in, in Torquay, to come up and we're going to work out on a plan to, to support, you know, what we want to do in Australia. And the people I met on that first day treated me like I'd been there for 10 years. Yeah. The, 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 the welcoming family trust was just, it was incredible and palatable. I mean, there's a daycare centre with kids, you know, having fun next to the cafe and You just feel like, okay, this is human beings, Mm. you know, working in the same direction. And there's a really strong culture that kind of helps bring people in really easily. But it was described once, and this is a really good way to probably, you know, capture, answer that question is... Patagonia will either feel like the best place you've ever worked and you finally found your home mm. or it'll feel like a really difficult place because if you don't share the values, if you don't care about same things and are happy to maybe miss opportunities, you know, have some go at the pace of the company, it'll feel uncomfortable. It'll feel like you're not it's not aligned with what who you are, mm. so it'll be a, a really crappy place to work. So the culture kind of looks after itself. It's it's not a super layered organisation for the size that it is. It's very very flat. Yeah. Um. There's a lot of kind of decision making that's taken through consultation and I wouldn't say committee, but it certainly is that kind of gr- the group think will kind of like come to the best conclusion. And, like, and if you miss an opportunity today, it'll still be a good opportunity tomorrow if it's really good. Yeah. You know. So um, that's been a really Taking a lot of the lessons I've learned here, working here, into my home life have been really good. You know, yeah, I guess being exposed to the B Corp movement, Patagonia is, you know, one of the earliest and biggest B Corps in, in that world. So I've been fortunate to be part of the B Corp circle here in Australia and help try and grow and support that movement. Yeah, you know, my wife's undertaking that process now for her business. Brilliant. So we're starting to, you know, like I said, it's a, it's a practical, pragmatic approach to... These sorts of things, yeah. and I think if I look back to who I was when I was 18 to now, I'm a very different person. I think when I'm, yeah, you know, 40 and look back to now, I'll go, oh, I'm a very different person yeah. again. Yeah,
0: so. and I think that that's it. This idea of living simply. There's two things I want to kind of touch on, but it is it's a process. You know, we just we take it, but incremental change by incremental change, because otherwise it's just this overwhelming thing that we feel bad about. Yeah. But the other thing that I wanted to talk about was this idea of trends, because. Um, simple living and, and I guess, minimalism and slow living and and quality over quantity, like they're all really on trend at the moment and everyone's talking about them, which makes me so happy Mm. because people are starting to think about it and I'd like to think that this is an actual long-term shift. But how do you, I mean, I guess personally and in terms of Patagonia, balance that idea of of being on trend for, for a moment with sustainability and longevity and not kind of jumping on that trend bandwagon and...
1: Well, I guess I I observe that too, and and I feel fortunate to be part of this brand whilst that's occurring. Mm. So there's a lot of luck. Yeah, yeah. I think we've got to acknowledge that. You know, we're fortunate that people are generations are connecting more with the outdoors again. They're looking for this sort of stuff, and our brand's ready, ready for those who find it. I think the, the 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 trend aspect is something that we you know, acknowledge it's there, but it doesn't drive our business plan. You know, you probably read in the book that we want to be in business for 100 years. You know, one of the big attractions for Yvonne with becoming a B Corp was the idea of embedding the values of your organisation into the organization legally so Mm. when you're long gone for this brand of business to exist the way it is it's going to have those things go along with it so we kind of acknowledge that yeah there might be some kids out there buying Patagonia t-shirts because it's cool right now and we're like that's fantastic but if those kids go in and read Yvonne's book or learn a little bit more about what the company's about and kind of you know kids are a really good litmus test of kind of what's going wrong with the world too there's a there's a Beautiful simplicity in solutions with kids that, mm. you know, often gets lost with adults. So we kind of acknowledge the opportunity of a trend, but we're not letting it guide our direction. Sure. We have a very clear, we're, we're clear who we want to be. We want our brand to be an agent of change and an agent of environmental protection. So how we, um, develop our partnerships how we market ourselves what we talk about and what we do is is really important mm. so the fact is that you know we're going to see some peaks and troughs over time where you know we're, we're acquiring new people to the to the brand through not the core values of the brand but we're hoping they come and stay for the core values of
0: exactly and that's what i was going to say i mean i think that you do a fantastic job of like encouraging everyone of course but but then really communicating what it's about which is getting outside and experiencing that's right the environment and you know the the incredible nature that we have in this country and once people get out and this is something that I'm so passionate about once people start to spend time outdoors I don't care if it's rock climbing or surfing or swimming Mm -hmm. or like skiing but people start to value the environment because you start to love it. And yep. that's where people start to do things to protect it.
1: And that's where Patagonia started. You exactly. Know, like Yvonne was a rock climber, surfer from the 60s. Yep. And I guess over time, countries like America has probably seen faster environmental change than any other. Yeah. So when you start seeing things that are lost, you know, you start thinking about, holy smokes, what, what could be lost next? Rick Ridgway, who's our VP of public engagements, one of Yvonne's oldest buddies, mm. was down here recently and told this great story about... Someone asked him what's his favourite climb. He's a really famous climber, super cool guy. And he said he's got this cool story which he talks about um, this ice climb in Kenya, which is like a frozen waterfall from, you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago. And he goes, the story that he tells is, you know, well, it was my favourite mm. climb, but it's not there today due mm. to climate change, you know. So he said, think his his story goes about how seeing geological change in a lifetime is just so startling yeah you know, things that take you know hundreds of thousands of, <laughs> millions of years to form and disappear as the behavior of mankind you know accelerating things to a point where change is, is much more stark i think we've all got to have hope with those circumstances too i mean it's really easy to feel overwhelmed mm-hmm. and kind of just in despair when you hear stuff like that but we do have to have hope that you know whilst change is occurring we can still be restorative in our vision. We yeah. don't have to just think about stopping the right, and whatever's left, we'll be happy with. This, you know, we can reforest. Mm. We can kind of nurture species at the brink of extinction back to, you know, back back to health. And I think that's what gets me kind of hopeful. That's what keeps me energised and smiling about, you know, about life. When mm. you kind of can feel a little bit kind of, you know, despairing when, when reading that newspaper in the morning.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think um, focus on what you're doing rather than, you know, all of the negative kind of stories that we're bombarded with every day as well. Mm. I think there's a certain level of mental health protection that needs to happen as long as it's paired with doing something. Absolutely. And then I think we can feel... And do what's good for you. Exactly. What are you good at? I mean,
1: some of us are great people for writing. So, like, use your writing skills in support of that. Some people are great builders, so get out and use your hands. And I think... That's something that um, I've observed has been really important is to celebrate differences because yeah. environmentalism can be highly um, polarising mm. and it has, I think it has had that view in the past. It can also be, at times, it can squeeze, pe- push people away because yeah. if you're not at the very tip of where some people think you need to be, you, well, you're still part of the problem. Yes. The problem is with that is that it stays niche. So we've got to find ways to welcome and encourage behaviour change at all levels and hope that that... Everyone's on a journey, you know, mm. and whatever that journey is, you know, as long as it's heading in the right direction, it'll be a positive one. Yeah. That's not to say I don't think that we need to be moving faster if we're going to, you know, you know, stop some of this awful stuff happening. Here.
0: Yeah. I'm not, I will not get political at all in this conversation, <laughs> but one of the, the things that I'm seeing and hopeful about, what, like particularly what's been happening in the States and stuff over the past six months or so, is an inclination for people to act, sometimes talked about things in the past or we stuck our head in the sand it's like oh, that's too big a problem i can't deal i can't deal and then all of a sudden something happens and people are shocked or they're dismayed but what i'm seeing at least with the people that i talk to is that people are now doing not just talking about doing and well, there's I, an
1: urgency now to, there is you know, yeah the the geopolitical landscape out there is shifting not just in north america but globally yeah. and it's It's got a lot to do with what people are starting to lose. I think, mm. you know, there's, you know, a lot of people are hurting. And, you know, I said before, you know, when you're worried about where your next meal is coming from, that's not just, you know, developing nations where that's occurring. That's no. occurring everywhere. However, I think when things start to get more radical, we realise that, you know, holy smokes, we can't, we can't wait. We mm. can't just hope things are going to happen. We're going to have to get out and be more active. Yeah. And that's been one of the most wonderful things was sort of... Our organisation has spent an enormous amount of time and money and effort on environmental protection, particularly in North America, mm. and things that have been won over years of hard work are at risk of you know being reversed in days and weeks, mm-hmm. and I think the changes have been certainly something to spur our team and organisation, not just in North America but globally, into action to say, hey our business now more than ever can be a beacon of hope. It can be an agent of change. And we can hopefully foster, you know, activism within our customers, our staff, our stakeholders in a way which says what we do today and what we do in the next couple of decades is going to be really, really important. And we are fortunate to be in a position to actually do something. Mm. You know, so many aren't, you know, so we've got to be thoughtful, we've got to be courageous, and we've got to really... With what this is what's great about working for a company like Patagonia is you're really encouraged to do that. Yeah. You're like, well what are what are you doing? You know, the, the, the owners and the and the senior leadership team is, are far more interested in what are we doing in environmental protection, how are we bringing customers into that conversation, giving them tools to, to be, you know, environmentalists mm. than they are on, you know, what's the PL at the end of the month. Yeah. You know? That stuff's important as I said, because we've got to be in business to be to be making a difference. Yes. We've got to be more profitable than our competitors and have a healthier balance sheet because we want to show that our business model is more than viable it's attractive mm. so that's I guess you know from a personal perspective there's a yeah you know, there's a lot of juggling and and pressure that comes comes along with trying to make that happen.
0: I mean, I, so I'm, I am mindful of your time but there's a couple of things that I, I would love to to kind of ask you about I guess in in wrapping up. Looking towards the future I mean where do you see Patagonia heading and where do you see it's it's kind of grassroots change making you know, making the biggest difference
1: well i'm the sort of person that when i start something i don't think about the end no yeah you know, so I, I would love to see myself being involved with the brand for the rest of my career and i and i but i've said that about every job mm. you know because i sort of if you're in you're in if you're not then it's time to change i think that there's still so much opportunity for the brand and, I, and what's amazing about patagonia is if I think about us as a surf brand or an outdoor brand or a ski brand or a food brand, our point of differentiation in any one of those markets is so clear and it's so, I think, attractive to what's changing public sentiment that the business opportunities are big. You know, mm. So we're always going to be a small market. Australia's small by comparison to the Asians, the North Americas, the Europe's, But I think we're also a very important market culturally. Mm. One of the things that we're really passionate about going here is... We want to help Patagonia really have its roots down as a surf brand. For surf brand, global surf brands to do well, they need to do well in Australia. Yes. So strategically, we can play a really strong role in that. 80% of Australians live within 50 kilometres of the coast, so we're a beach-going folk mm. more than we are an outdoorsy type kind of folk. You know, We're also in a position to really support independent um, retail. So where we see a big trend of big brands... Yeah, opening lots of stores, buying other stores, kind of, you know, they're kind of acquiring growth rather than kind of earning growth. Yeah. We want to be a business that earns our place with both customers, you know, who are coming into shops and buying it, but also with our with our really big wholesale network. To say, look, in partnership, we can make your business successful. Hopefully, we can influence their behaviour a little mm. bit, and we get some great responses to some of the initiatives the company is doing from those dealers. So I think where I see the company in the next five to ten years is hopefully. Staying on the trajectory that we're on, which is we want to keep growing in the sense that we don't want people just to buy more stuff. We want to take market share away from those who aren't doing as well, who aren't thinking about who's making their clothes or where the materials are or what they're doing with the waste at the end of that. Um, So it's very much, you know, let's take a bigger slice of the pizza then cook a bigger pizza. Yeah. I also think that we want to have a much bigger impact on the environment, you know, here locally. I'm really proud that this year we're going to probably donate in excess of $200,000 Um, to grassroots groups here in Australia, which when I started, I think we'd made one $4,000 grant in in the business's history in Australia. Yeah. So the impact that we've been able to do on that front's been enormous, but it's also the tip of the spear. Mm. Um, We've got a full-time environmental and social initiatives manager appointed about 12 months ago. So she's both leading, you know, what are we doing as an organisation branch to reduce our impact? leading our grants program and also helping us engage with customers with 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 the work that we're kind of doing mm-hmm. um so there's i mean there's a lot that i think we we can and, and, and should go after
0: i think it's, it's really exciting for me i mean as a customer but also someone who's just inspired by the way patagonia does business to see that evolution and to to kind of witness it growing in australia but also just globally i think yeah. it's Brilliant. And in 10 years, if
1: I could say, more often than not now when I say I work for Patagonia, most people go, well, what's Patagonia? Yeah. And so I have this, got to pick the story I want to tell for the, for the audience that I've got. I'd, I'd love for the, for people in the conversation to go, oh, didn't you know that Patagonia do this or they do that? And and really talk about the things that make the company difference. Yep, we make clothes, mm. we make wetsuits, we make shorts and jackets, but think about and hopefully you know spread the good word about the philanthropy the changes that we're making within the industry on, you know, product development and certainly uh, supply chain operations.
0: Mm. Because I mean, it matters. Listening to you talk, it, it just it matters. It's really easy to to kind of poo poo all of it. All of it is going. Yep. It's just about stuff. Yeah. But you know what? We all buy things. We, we all stuff. wear things. So make it. And brands out. matter. Yeah. Because
1: if they didn't, we'd all wear potato sacks. Exactly. You know, so brands are. You know. Brands are really important and I make a distinction between a label and a brand because you invest in a brand and mm. a brand is your reputation. It's the things that you do, not the things that you say. Yeah. So what it takes a lifetime to build up you know trust with customers mm. and that we people will buy your stuff over other brands and then within a range of you know price parity yeah. but it doesn't take very long to lose that. Fortunate again to be with the company it's just like saying be honest. Yeah. do the right thing you know you, we know that the right thing is and you know well, there's a wonderful group of people out there that we can soundboard internally with to make sure that we're on track mm. and what i'm finding is that customers really respond to that you know when they get past the i really wanted a new puffy jacket and yours looks great <laughs> into kind of going oh gee the zip just broke and they walk into our sydney store and we've got a repair center there exactly. and someone fixes on the spot and they walk out with their jacket yeah. fixed and they might have you know been thinking well it would have been cool to get a new one but the person just explained to me if we can keep our jacket going for longer this Mm -hmm. is the environmental impact it has that stuff is like gold that person goes home and tells their partner or their friends and that you know that story can kind of
0: yeah without like gushing that's actually our experience like we went in to buy something in the sydney store yeah this is you can get stuff fixed here. Like, you yeah. just, you know, you come back, you bring your jacket back, they'll put the zip back Which on, is, whatever. Which is, it's think, not new. No. It's,
1: it's what we did 50 years exactly. ago. Exactly. Until the big kind of business was like, we can make more money by planning that obsolescence. And, you know, it, it's almost cheaper for you to throw your washing machine at the tip it's and buy a new crazy. one than it is to get it repaired.
0: We've just lost the art yeah. of repair. And I love yeah. seeing a big organization say, well, we're going re- to yeah. bring that back. In
1: the US, we have the biggest garment repair facility in the whole country so with awesome. 41 full-time employees. And it's just, it's. I mean, we're doing that on a small scale here. Yeah. And it's like, hey, we've always repaired our stuff. If yeah. you send something back, we want to repair it first. That's our guarantee. And if it doesn't meet your expectations, we'll replace it the refund you. We, we believe in our gear that much. Yeah. Our return rate is super small. But the opportunity to have a conversation with a customer about why repair is important is right within that mission that the company stands for.
0: And again, it's just education and you know, right. becoming people becoming more aware and more mindful of what what this stuff means and what we can do to make it last yeah. yeah it's brilliant i think it's um yeah you guys are doing incredible work so
1: well i'm lucky to be part of a cool company mm. and a good group of people
0: uh, thanks dane
1: no worries thank you
0: jack Rabbit fm for your ears who is
1: that hi Pass.